Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Celeste Burke. Celeste, a self-proclaimed self sales growth strategist, is a natural collaborator and partner to executives who easily pinpoint gaps in strategy and create roadmaps to implement plans and achieve targets. Passionate about creating cross-functional collaboration, team development, and delivering results across top-performing teams. Celeste has over 21 years of experience holding both a BS and MS degree. Her accolades include the Director of Sales of the Director of Sales of the Year Award, two times Manager of the Year, and being named 40 Under 40 for the Triad Business Journal. In early 2020, Celeste branched out on her own to scale a female-owned consulting and training business. Celeste holds the designation of Certified Gap Selling Training Partner with a sales growth company and the Gap Selling Methodology. Welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Thank you so much for having me. What what an intro. I didn't realize I had all of these accolades and background, but... Uh... <laughs> I guess as the years go on, you seem to rack things up as you progress on your sales and marketing journey. Yeah. And I always find it like, you know, when I hear people introduce me or talk about my accolades, it's like, wow, this person seems pretty awesome. And it's like, oh, wait, that's me. That's me. <laughs> right. And it's it's interesting to note as women, we tend to downplay our accomplishments I was in a room full of women the other day, uh, six, 16 individuals, 15 females, not including myself. And we started talking about that. And you should have seen their eyes were like this. Uh, I have to talk about myself and my accomplishments. And uh, last year I did a, a spoof on a video of uh, women. It was a study of, I think, uh, 30,000 women, a certain percentage. It was like 62% or don't quote me, uh, but more than 50% would rather clean than talk about their accomplishments. So, <laughs> I, I don't know that down. there are, uh, I don't know that cleaning ranks higher than almost anything. Uh <laughs> yeah. And it, it's really unnatural. Many of us in, in the sales and marketing career, like we're, we're competitive. We've had to be on teams. We compete on a leaderboard. We're looking at statistics over and over again. And when we see it in black and white, we have a hard time correlating that to our own success or we're playing a part in that success. So I'm right there with you championing, championing women to start getting uncomfortable, getting comfortable talking about yourself and your accomplishments. Yes, I echo that 100%. And uh, might have to have you back on the couch and talk <laughs> about that topic because it is one that comes up all the time. Um, but uh, before we jump into our actual topic today, I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment I call buzzword banishment. So 
what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? It is an acronym, but I would love to, and those of you who are in sales will know, especially if you've been in a long time, if sales for a long time, like I have, BANT, the acronym BANT. Uh, yes, I, that is one. I think BANT may have been banned once before, or it's come up in so many conversations. A lot of people don't like it, but tell me why don't you like BANT? Sure. So I, I can say I'm a traditional Bant seller. When I first came into sales, I knew nothing about sales. I uh, That's a whole nother topic of how I was <laughs> got a job leading a team and I had zero experience in selling anything nor managing individuals. I was traditionally trained on Bant. We take and we put our seller's hat on and we start asking questions that are going to get us closer to the sale. And as I've progressed through my career, I continue to hear Bant, even as late as last week, a company that everybody knows, one of their um, accounting executives was telling me, we use BANT. And what's interesting is it's so seller focused. It's so based on our outcomes versus putting ourselves in the buyer's role, putting the buyer's hat on, what do they want to get out of this experience? And BANT is completely seller driven and it doesn't focus on our customers. So uh, I am happy to cut out dance. Uh, you know, as a career marketer, uh, it has frustrated me for many years, you know, generating what I would do. You know, I have always taken pride in really qualifying leads and not, you know, just passing over the they have a pulse. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, these are people that have some real interest. But because you can't validate Bant in a first conversation, you're just going to dismiss it like, oh, there's nothing here. And, you know, but I, I'm getting too deep into our topic. So definitely. And time, audience, time, time and time again, we've seen that just as we would, if if we have a problem, budget goes out the window, right? If, if the gap is big enough, if the problem is big enough and we can't get to that future state and we have to the budget doesn't matter. So yes, for another time, but we will agree to let it die. Yes. Yeah. And you know, that that's a good place to dive in. Cause I know that, you know, our CRO like almost refuses to even acknowledge the budget conversation around budget. Like he's very much like, let's, let's talk about what the problem is and what you need. And we'll get to dollar signs later because you're right. Like if the issue is big enough, you find, you know, you find budget. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you, your roof starts leaking, like you didn't really plan for a new roof in your budget, but you don't just go up. Oh, well, you know, we'll wait until I've got the money. Like, no, you got to figure it out. Um, so I think we've already kind of alluded to why you're here. Um, but if you can tell our audience, what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? Sure. So I'm here to shed some light on the way that we sell and we approach especially discovery conversations. You talked about rooting yourself and finding a problem. And so what I want to talk about today is, do you know the problems you solve? You don't know what to look for unless you know the problems you solve. And I would say 9.5 out of 10 sellers, CROs, VPs we talk to are stuck in what we call the technical weeds 
Um, and we can get into that. So I'd love to chat about how do we come rooted in looking for problems we solve in order to have higher level discovery conversations. Love it. Um, and I firmly believe in setting intentions. It gives us focus. It gives us purpose. And most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they should expect from our discussion. So for those listening, what's your best hopes for our talk? What would you like them to walk away with? I would love for listeners to walk away being able to write down on a piece of paper, these are the technical problems I solve, and we can get into technical problems. It's usually a, pro a process, a broken process, a missing tool, a broken process or a missing tool. And on the other side, write down, why does that matter? If a business doesn't have my lovely product, why does it matter? That's where you'll start focusing on those big level business problems versus staying in the technical weeds, which is what most marketers and sellers do with their messaging, with their discovery, is talking all about what's broken. And as you know, just because something is broken doesn't mean we want to fix it. My, For example, my car, I slid in uh, down a hill when it was icy last February, so a year ago. Um, into a delivery truck. The delivery truck was fine. My car has a huge dent in it. Every time I see someone, even my parents, they'll say, oh, you need to get that fixed. And I'm like, do I? <laughs> it's not a pro It's not a big enough problem. There's no impact to my child's safety. It has not affected the efficiency of the car and how it's going to run, where it's getting me from point A to point B. It's not impacting my work. You know, it goes on and on. Those bigger level business problems so I, I don't need to fix it. It's not a big enough problem. But sellers will sell to that broken process, the dent, aka my car, all the time. Yeah, that and that is that is so true. And in some cases, like I think using your car example, it goes to like that. Um, why does it matter? Because for some people, like I know some car folks who would you know not be able to sleep with a dent in their car because the aesthetic of the vehicle is something that is really important to them sure. and so you know they would have like slid into that delivery truck and then immediately drove into a collision center to mm -hmm. you know do whatever to restore it to to near perfect and so that is and that also you know you're thinking about it like goes back to like who are you selling to because, you know, and why, like for you, that, you know, dent repair sure. is you're not the audience. Sure. And um, you think about it, you know, a classic example of this is I had a call, like many of the, many of the listeners here, you're having sales calls, discovery calls, whatever, whatever you call them. And when you start digging in and you find the business is doing well, right, the things you solve for aren't really broken most people will continue to push the sale because we're outcome driven. We want to get that sale. We want to have that win versus taking a step back and saying, there isn't a problem I can solve here. And the best thing I can do for this potential buyer is to let them know I cannot help them because the gap isn't big enough. Now, yes, will some people still buy because they want training? They want a new logo. They want new marketing email cadence. Absolutely. That, you know, those are outliers. We are talking about when you have to make the case for change 
for your buyer. Um, marketers have to do this as well. Salespeople have to do this as well. You have to be rooted in uncovering and quantifying the problems you solve so that your buyer thinks about it differently. Now, if someone in the car industry came to me and said, and nobody has, and came to me and said, because of this dent, like, tell me about your future. What what are, What is your desire? And I would say, oh, you know, eventually buy another car. Uh, we're going on a cross-country trip in two years. Uh, my daughter will be out of a car seat and riding in, in the front seat. I mean, I'm making that up. She's only five not even five, but let's say she <laughs> will eventually. And the person starts talking about maybe the safety impact over a long period of time, corrosion, rust, what's happening and how that can start impacting that future state of, oh, interesting. So the corrosion could actually affect the tires. The tire may not spin. It may get out of balance. That could cause X, Y, Z. And as a buyer, I say, oh, I didn't think about it that way. So you're telling me if I don't fix this now, it could impact the tire. And because the tire isn't spinning, the tire could blow out. And I'm, how often are you driving down the highway? Blah, blah, blah. You know, we get into this place where you're making the buyer realize, ooh, I didn't realize this was a huge problem and the impacts it has to that desired future state or where you're trying to go. Now, that's an extreme case. Uh, luckily, it's just cosmetic, but I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there's other right. damage <laughs> beyond that I have no clue about. Um, yeah, and so I want to back up for a second. I always like to ground in definitions. Mm -hmm. um, so I know you are certified in the gap selling approach, um, and although I am familiar with it, I'd like to have you define for yeah. the listeners what is the gap sales approach. So the gap selling methodology, so it's not a framework. It's not a checkbox. You don't get a list. It's rooting you in understanding the problems that you solve. What business problems do you solve? How to find them, how to quantify them, and qualify a potential buyer based on, do they have a problem? <laughs> do they understand they have a problem? Is it a problem I can fix? Are they willing to solve the problem? And are they willing to go on the problem journey with you? Those are our four qualification states. So it is based on um, the psychology of how buyers buy versus the transactional approach to selling that a lot, a lot of other frameworks or methodologies are. So this isn't necessarily a framework. It's looking at problems and really being rooted in the problems that you solve in order to help your buyer. So it's completely buyer focused, which makes salespeople very uncomfortable because it's out of the norm. Um, and we are very passionate as a team. We're a small and mighty team. There are two certified sellers, two female certified sellers, Keenan, who is the founder, um, building, building this brand. But we're out there challenging all of the traditional frameworks that are very customer, anti-customer focused and more focused on the seller. Um, awesome. And so thinking about this, because I, you know, having talked to a lot of salespeople, uh, you know, been involved over the years in a lot of different organizations and how they sell, um, many would argue that like, yeah, that's, that's totally what we do. But in that conversation, so in addition, so going back to Bant that we're trying to yeah. banish, 
some would argue that, yeah, that's just the, the N in Bant. Like, what's the need? Um, but I still got to make sure that I'm talking to, you know, even if we dismiss the B, I got to make sure that I'm talking to someone that's got the right authority. Um, and even the T kind of falls in, you know, the timeline. Like, if it's important enough to solve, then, you know, the timeline kind of becomes built in. So, you know, some would argue that, like, this isn't different. It's the same. And, you know, BANT is just what we're tracking to make sure that we're also talking to the right person. Um, and so I'd love to hear, I always like to speak to the naysayers before I jump sure. into the details. Like, what do you say to those people that, like, believe that, like, yeah, we're totally doing this, like, but we just also need to talk to the right person? So buyers don't like change. When you gather information from them from a checklist, bam, what's your budget? There is no impetus to change within that question with gathering that information. Are you the right person? You know, we don't know. We haven't dove into what is the problem you're trying to solve. A lot of times when we have a conversation with an individual, they may not have the information. They have to go find somebody else to get involved in the conversation to get that information. But we aren't off the bat disqualifying them because we don't have the information. We're truly seeking to understand. Um, need, again, oftentimes a buyer will come to you and say they need something and through a proper discovery, they do not need that. It's something else. It's stemming from something else. But if we are so trigger happy to sell based on what a buyer tells us they think they need, we could be missing the mark. So we are the anti-checklist. We are seeking to find information, and that has to be stemmed from what problems you solve. Whenever we ask a seller who's in a traditional medic, med pick, bant, what problems do you solve? They will say, we increase efficiency. We productivity. Increase productivity. <laughs> visibility. We save the customer time. Typically, buyers don't buy because of that. Those are all broken processes or tools that when we dive deeper into, we have to quantify. What does missing productivity mean to the organization? Have we quantified that? And if there's a very small gap from how much your product is to how much you're going to save, there is no sale. When you can yeah. start to quantify because, okay, I understand you because this is broken. This is what's happening in the organization. You're not able, you have like re horrible retention rate or a uh, customer churn. Like typically those business problems that we want to speak to that elevate the conversation, we can't get from a traditional method of let me ask you yes or no questions based on the technical problems. So it is about the psychology of change and getting the buyer to agree that they have a change. And when we hear often through, well, I went through my checklist, I you know, asked these questions and we lost no decision or no change. We lost to the status quo. It is because it's not based on timeline. It's because we didn't create any urgency to show them if you stay in this intolerable or intenable state, you are not going to get to the desired state. This is the case for change. This is how big the gap is. If you do this, you can get over here. Um, and so that's how we differ from the traditional BANT checklist-ish type of discovery. 
Yeah, I know we take the approach pretty much with everything, like with sales, with projects of what's current state, what's the desired future state, what's in the way. Yeah. Um, and that's how we either talk to clients about what they need either from us or holistically when we're going into projects, that is what defines what's in scope versus what's out of scope or what may be like a phase two. Mm -hmm. um, and it is that that gap of like, what do we need to solve um, sure. in and the it, short? And it may be called something different. Obviously, there are a lot of Franken uh, frameworks out there taking a little bit of this, taking a little bit of that. It's not that our team is against all of that. I mean, any framework is better than nothing. It is the adoption and how are you measuring success? What are that? What is that criteria if you're in marketing, if you're in sales, that is going to allow you to measure success? So oftentimes our team will walk away from projects. I've walked away from many where it's like, I cannot help you because you cannot define where you want to go. This is a like to have, but you have not helped me to identify how success is going to be measured. So oftentimes when we hear from people, oh, this framework didn't work. Our team, you know, tell me more about that. How are you measuring success? Uh, if people watch the videos, like that is not a measurement of success. If we don't have those <laughs> success measurements in place, we will not see the needle move. We do not want to work with teams who are not willing to go that extra mile. And typically that comes from, as you know, with anything, <laughs> you mentioned you had a son before, um, our children don't learn something once and then master it. No, it is the repetitive nature. And us as learners learn in an environment where we are in an active learning seat. So not watching videos, listening to people talk to us, lecture style. We are in the CRM. We are looking at current opportunities. We're working through deals. We're role playing 50% of the time. But then after that, what is that kind of rev ops? Um, let's call it like a, a process that is in place. How are we measuring success? How are we holding the team accountable to this? What does our CRM usage look like? All that reinforcement and retention that helps people to truly make a change when it comes from a sales process side. Okay. And so let's talk about what this looks like in practice. So thinking about, you know, starting with the marketing side, um, if, if I'm an organization and we've gone all in in tapping into this framework, like what is good look like? Um, so starting from marketing, progressing all the way all the way through to you know how we are reporting or tracking or, or measuring, like what does good look like? So good looks like there is alignment across all divisions of the company, typically marketing, sales, operations, on the problems we solve. And so that is, people can do it on their own. You can download a problem identification chart. It's problems, impacts, root causes. Um, we work with teams on pulling that together. It is a tough conversation internally. Marketing and sales usually do not see eye to eye on the problems you solve. Right then, until you nail those, like the business problems you solve. So that's not something that can be fixed like this. For me, it's I'm looking for low close rates, uh, a decline in sales, weak pipeline generation. That is an impact right to the business stemming from uh, no sales methodology. Um, qualification criteria isn't in place. There's no adoption. You know, could be stemming from a whole bunch of things. 
getting the team to have a consensus on the business problems you solve is good. Having it written down in whatever format you like. Marketing messaging relates to that. Sales discovery, outbound from BDRs. Um, operations is able to weave that in. Sales leadership is able to talk about it. Everybody is using the same vernacular uh, in understanding the problems that they solve, but that takes a bit to get some alignment there. So I would say that's number one from a standpoint of marketing. If we're only talking about the technical problems on our websites, at our trade shows, in all of our outbound messaging, we are not resonating with a buyer because Everybody else is talking about that too. So that's good from a marketing standpoint. Moving into sales and adoption, it is then ensuring that everybody is talking about your opportunities the same way. Are we all gathering the same information? Meaning, do we know their current state? You just mentioned it. Do I have the future state for this opportunity? Do I know the gap? What is this stemming from? What are those root causes? putting that in the CRM so that when you're looking at a deal, it's all being scored the same way, all based on the same criteria. Um, you'll see that in a lot of frameworks that really is important. And it's important to operations because of forecast accuracy. So typically we see a lot of in the impact column, like poor forecast accuracy. Um, that's the impact, right? It can be a root cause as well. When we have alignment across all of the organization, especially in our pipeline, operations is able to look at a forecast that is accurate. So it kind of weaves through the whole organization, uh, but it has to start with some uncomfortable conversations and getting alignment across the whole entire organization, which is a huge change. So leadership has to be bought in as to the why, and you have to know the metrics that you're striving for across the entire organization in order to know, okay, I need to get from here to here. This is how we're going to do it. And I think one of the things that I am hearing in what you're saying um, is less focus on what you're going to sell them. Um, and I think that that is a place where a lot of salespeople will fail is they will right out of the gate, whether it's, you know, a software and you've got different tiers or different options or, you know, all the way through to service, like you go in thinking based on whatever you know, whether it's form they filled out or, you know, what they expressed as the need that this is what I need to sell them. Yeah. And I feel like from what I'm hearing, like doing that too early, you're going to completely miss the mark in understanding like what they, you know, what they hate to use the word need over and over, but what they yeah. actually need and that we've got to just start the sales process and start the marketing process, not even thinking about what we're going to sell, which I think is a bit counterintuitive, <laughs> uh, yeah. especially on the marketing side. We're so rooted in our product. We love our products because they are the best, right? There's no competition. It's a blue ocean. Nobody's selling this. Well, eventually people are. And we have to move to this place of seeking to help, seeking to understand, and getting our sellers out of this place of having commission breath where they go in, like, I have to make a sale. I have to move this along in the process. No, can I help this person? A phrase I love to share with marketers and our team shares with um, sellers as well is like, why does this matter? 
why does it matter? Why does this matter? <laughs> Asking over and over, like, why does this matter to the organization? What could be going on? Creating hypothesis. Now, this is like an elevated level of selling, of um, taking myself, a traditional Bant seller, and realizing I asked some really crappy questions very early on in my sales career, and still do sometimes. We're all human. But when I truly seek to understand, I'm not attached to the outcome. I don't talk about my product. So, for example, this morning uh, I got pinged. Someone in the chat said, you know, this is my team size. This is what I'm looking to do. This is what we sell. How much does it cost to have you come and speak? It's like most sellers would say, okay, here's the price. When are you looking to do it? How can we move this along? Let's get on a call, blah, blah, blah. No. I, I'm not going to share any of that information with you. Like, I don't even know if I can help you. What are you trying to right. accomplish? Why now? What's going on in the organization? And so it it is breaking this um, uncomfortable place that all of us are in of we have to hurry up and get to the finish line versus do I have enough quality of information in order to help this person so that when I do get closer to that finish line, the business case and the case for change is so great that they cannot stay where they are. They have to make a change or it's not there. I can't help them. And I'm willing to walk away and you know keep them in mind for future when something does change or the organization um, goes through a major change or something like that. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely tough to disassociate, disassociate yourself from the product. But we always say you can't do sales malpractice. Like I cannot... Do sales malpractice here. I cannot commit it. Just like a doctor can't commit malpractice, I cannot commit sales malpractice, which would be selling you something without seeking to understand first. I, I like, I, lo I love that phrase. I had not heard that before, but that is a great way to think about it um, because, you know, thinking about like a doctor, malpractice is like serious, like someone could die, uh, you know, and, and it's like, a lot of times I've heard salespeople think about like, oh, if I sold them the wrong thing, like, you know, we'll figure that out on the back end and get them on the right product. And, you know, as if there's a no big deal factor there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, nobody's going to die. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that it's no big deal. And yeah. so really, actually, you know, and it kind of goes to like, you got to care as well. Um, it takes away that old sales mentality of just, you know, get it done. Uh, yeah. You know, you think about like old used car salespeople who would, <laughs> you know, say whatever, turn the lights off on the dash. Like that form of selling is just gone um, because buyers are also more savvy. And oh, yes, absolutely. Buyers already have formed an opinion. They've come to you. I saw an interesting post on LinkedIn yesterday from the CMO of um, CoLab basically saying, if you are not coming with any information that is new and exciting and makes me think of something differently, you're not getting any time. Like you have to be this good in order to grab attention from individuals. And it can't be talking about the silly stuff that everybody else is talking about. Time, money, freedom, visibility, productivity. Like that is, it's over overused. And our marketing messaging and sales messaging, if we do not change, we are not meeting those individuals 
because they're so smart, they have access to all the tools that we do. So I thought that was a really interesting post. Um, I'm forgetting her name, but the CMO uh, put out yesterday because it's it's spot on. Our buyers are really savvy. Um, and so the the last kind of direction that I, I want to take here is thinking about this as an approach. Um, I like to, you know, we've talked a lot strategically around what does this look like, big picture, et cetera. I want to talk a little more tactical, like rubber meets the road. You go into an organization, you know, let's say it's an organization, total mess, like all their, they're talking all the product, they got the productivity efficiency, like that's what's all over everywhere. Tactically, how does this change happen? Like if someone is trying to go from the traditional checklist, product focus, to this more, you know, focused on discovery and gap selling and all the things we've talked about, what does that really look like? Yeah. Taking a step back, all, all of us who are in a sales seat um, have either case studies, have customers of our own. So I would encourage you to take a few moments and think, why did these customers come to me? Like, what is that through line that is happening in all the organizations that isn't a technical broken process, missing tool. What is that? What are they trying to achieve? Are they trying to raise money, right? Is um, our employee engagement, is that tanking? Do they have turnover, uh, churn? You know, what are those big things that I keep seeing coming up that we solve for? So that would be like the first technical is talking to a couple of customers or reading through some case studies and pulling out two to three high-level business problems that you solve. They can't be solved with a snap of a finger or plugging something in or implementing your tool. It is like a, something a C-suite, a board would care about. So that would be the first tactical step. Obviously, reading the Gap Selling book is like great. Or you can listen to it on Audible. If you haven't heard Keenan, who is the author, he narrates it. Uh, he does use a couple of choice words, but he's very <laughs> passionate about uh, us really being customer focused, customer centric. So that's where I would start is like dipping your toe into what do I keep hearing that isn't about my product that I solve for? And then when we are on the next step, I would say like, let's, we're, we're just trying to crawl here. We're not trying to run would be how do I open up a discovery seeking to find information? What is a question I can ask? So often we're asked like, do you have a checklist of discovery and questions I can ask? Like, no, what information are you trying to seek? So thinking about your business problems, what's going on in the organization that prompted them to reach out? Like getting as much information from the buyer as you can in that first question. So um, that would be my kind of like the tactical, let's start crawling. See the through line. What are the business problems that you hear over and over and over again? that keep coming up. What are they trying to solve for? Read the book and or go on, look at our blogs. We have so much information out there. And then open up a discovery with one question that helps you seek to gain as much information as you can from the buyer. And then take it from there. You have to be listening during your discovery call. You don't. There isn't a checklist. There isn't a list of questions. It's whatever the next step goes for. But typically we say, um, if you don't know what business problems you solve for, like the discovery is squirrely and all over the place, 
if you know, then you can start to quantify it. So for, here's a real life example, low close rates. That's typically the number one thing that I see when I'm talking to a company. I have to quantify if that's good or bad. Just because somebody has a low close rate of 10% across the organization doesn't mean it's bad, doesn't mean it's good. I need to know where were they last year? Where are they this year? Is it trending up or down? Is this one rep or two rep? Is it across the organization? Quantifying that, what's in their pipeline? If at this close rate, are they going to meet this metric by this time? What's their sales cycle? So see how it all weaves together. But I knew that's one thing I want to hone in on in order to start to understand, to quantify what's happening in the business to make the case for change. Okay. So I want to repeat that back to make sure that I'm absorbing it. So starting with finding those themes, those threads, then as an organization going through and defining, documenting, like what are the problems you solve so that everyone can align their messaging and talking points to that. And then redefining how the sales team approaches discovery and getting adoption for that. It sounds like is like the key starting point. Key starting points, if nothing else. I mean, the key starting point would be admitting we have have a problem (laughs) and we need to make a change. Um, And typically, as you start to see any of you, go to your website. What does that messaging look like? Is it all the visibility, the productivity, saving time, getting more leads? Like that's a lot of process. What are we trying to accomplish here and really help with? So I think you nailed it. it. It is a big undertaking, but you can take small starts to just have an awareness because we all don't have 100% adoption. It starts with like that 1%, 1%, 1%. So gaining an awareness, are we product-centric and technical problem-centric? Or are we moving to what really matters for our customers in this you know, two to three? And there aren't, really aren't going to be more than two, three to four um, business problems that you solve as an organization. Okay. Well, talking about our challenges is just the first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. And so in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client (laughs) some homework, but here at Revenue Rehab, we like to flip that on its head and ask you to give us some homework. And so I think through this discussion, you've given us a lot of action items, um, which I love and have taken a bunch of notes. (laughs) But at this point, I'd like to ask you for your one thing. So if our you know, listeners, this resonates with you. They're like, we got a problem. I need to move in the right direction. What's their first step? Their first step is to write down, why does that matter? I love it. Uh, and I wrote that one down <laughs> as well. Um, why does this matter? I do that a lot. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? And you can even do it in your, uh, personal, your personal life as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I definitely do that one. Uh, like, why should I care is kind of the way that Ooh. I phrase it. Um, so awesome. So we are going to start by writing down why does this matter and understanding our business impact of, you know, what it looks like if we change and shift the way that we are doing things. Um, I think that is a great start. Uh, I think that you also threw in a number of other great action items through here that are good conversations to initiate internally, or even just the self-evaluations to say, you know, because we use a very similar approach to what you've talked about. But even for us, there's like a couple things I'm like, 
oh, like I need to kind of think about that a little more, or we might want to tweak this there. So even where you're not totally doing it wrong and, or I won't say wrong, but doing it with a checklist, um, there's still, you know, opportunity for everyone to, to grow and evolve and to be better and more customer centric. Absolutely. It's, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Again, we're looking at making a 1% improvement. Uh, we do this with our coaching and our feedback. Uh, individuals can't absorb a lot. What's one behavior we want to change? <laughs> Let's see it the next time. And then we build upon that. We build upon that. But you have to start with, you know, what is the organization trying to achieve? If you don't know that, that's a bigger conversation. And many organizations don't. We want to grow. We want to get better. And you're like, at what? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? We call it define everything. When someone gives you a vagary, ask for a definition. If they're cagey, like, is it 10%? Is it 20? Is it closer to the 30? Oh, okay, 30. Um, because vagaries do not help us help our buyer when we seek to understand. And typically buyers give us vagaries when they think you're trying to sell them something. Um, and if you can reframe it and say, I'm truly seeking to understand if I can help you or provide any value in this conversation. Um, typically when I see X, Y, Z, it means this. Does any of that resonate with you? They just want to know. Buyers have been done dirty for a long time. So <laughs> undo that. Yes, I agree completely. And that's why I always use that analogy of the uh, old uh, used car salespeople because it, you know, that's like a, a really relatable example, but we all have been through those uh, bait and switch and, yeah. you know, all the different bad sales mm -hmm. experiences. Um, well, Celeste, I have enjoyed our discussion, Likewise. but that's our time for today. Um, before we go, how can our audience connect with you and definitely give the shameless plug for what your consulting firm does? Sure. So I am searching to chat with VPs and CROs who are experienced, who are willing to admit that things are going backwards, low close rates, decline in sales, weak pipeline generation. Everybody is looking to go outbound and nobody knows how to do it because they don't know what business problems they solve. So if you are in that boat, hit me up. I pump out a lot of content on LinkedIn, funny videos. I think sales is a little bit weird. Uh, so I make it a little weird and poke fun of it. You can find me, Celeste Burke, nicely on LinkedIn. That's the best place to get in touch. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to link to your LinkedIn and I'm going to make sure to check out your videos. I love to, you know, I love when you can poke fun at what you do um, because we I all have, have a series that I've started. I'm only two videos in. It's called Panic at the Disco, where somebody calls in. Um, because they're in a panic mode from a sales situation and I kind of poke fun at it. I wear my daughter's like cat earphones. So, <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. Uh, so yeah, that is next on my list to look for. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. I have truly enjoyed this discussion. Um, and thanks everyone for joining us. I hope you have enjoyed my discussion with Celeste. Can't believe we're at the end. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.